Hello, everyone. I'm going to. I'm Patrick. I'm the vicar here. My iPad's working, so we're all okay. I think. And is there a scr- um, picture on the screen, possibly? I'm going to pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much uh, for your gift of life in and through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a deeper understanding of the depths of your love and your grace. And Lord, that you would reorder our thinking, reorder our focus, that we might know that we are deeply secure in you with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen. Now, just very briefly, this is, look, it's not great art up there, by the way, but um, this is something that's in a very, very simple way uh, was supposed to sum up my time at Theological College. Because at Theological College, we get asked all sorts of different things and we grapple with um, some really, really deep issues, and some of the things that we hold on very, very closely to in terms of our life and our faith, some of them, like the ones that are not important, we let go of them. But some things maybe we hold on most firmly to. So if I could express in some way, and it's not brilliant art, the root and the irreducible minimum of my faith, It's the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that they hang together. You take one element out, and I think like a thread in this stole, which was my ordination stole as a reminder of what I believed, then you start pulling that thread, and for me the whole thing comes apart. Crucifixion. Resurrection. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow, so somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Who can say with me, and you do already, I want to know Christ in his death and his resurrection. Who can say with me, I want to be like Christ through his death and his resurrection? The question of suffering causes many people to keep their distance from God and from Christianity. Yet it's through Christ's sufferings that we can see God more fully. Jesus' suffering up to and on the cross resulted in our salvation. Our suffering is in no way comparable to his. Salvation is not won through the amount of suffering we endure. We're saved by the loving action of God in Christ, confessing our faith in Christ, and by the grace and mercy of Christ 
alone. That said, many Christians testify that they found God's grace and strength in their suffering. Gordon Fee writes, Through our suffering, the significance of Christ's suffering is made known to the world. So when we suffer, we can sometimes give the world a window through which they might be able to see and begin to understand the sufferings of Christ. We hear stories down the ages of, uh, and today of people, Christians, who have and are being persecuted for being faithful to God. Many have testified to a very deep fellowship with Christ when we participate with Jesus in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Tim Keller challenges our understanding of our relationship with God who allows both suffering and abundant blessing. He writes, If we believe God only when he does great things for us, we're only using him. Some suffering can help us to learn about God, learn about ourselves, and grow in spiritual maturity. Some suffering is necessary if we want the kingdom of God to expand. We can't take too much kingdom ground in society from the comfort of our armchair reading the newspaper or watching the news, even the football, although that might teach us a little bit about suffering. Unless we're praying or being prompted into action. The passage from Philippians 3, we see crucifixion and resurrection go together. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. God's salvation plan could not move to resurrection without crucifixion. We need to pass through the cross of Jesus Christ in order to experience the resurrection of Christ. We go through both death and resurrection in Jesus' wake. He does it for us. He holds on to us then we hold on to him. I'm going to come back to that idea a little bit later. Another thought or a statement. Not all suffering is good or necessary. Jesus had compassion on those who suffered. Some suffering has an oppressive effect on us. I don't counsel anyone to ask for more suffering to come their way. Suffering seems to happen anyway. Some suffering happens as a result of being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Some suffering happens as a result of us being in a fallen world and making some wrong choices. It's a world, I believe, that God plans to restore and bring his healing. It's a restorative process that has begun because of the death and resurrection of Jesus 
and will be completed on his return. When God's kingdom comes and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some suffering grieves and angers God. It grieves and angers and confuses us too. When Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, the wind and the waves were subdued. The blind saw, the deaf could hear, the lame walked, the demonized were set free, the dead were raised, the good news was preached. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was the dawning of God's kingly rule. Jesus says, follow me, participate with me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the resurrection, I am the life. I pray that the unnecessary pain and oppression that robs us of the fullness of this life might indeed be healed. I pray that if the crosses that we carry feel too heavy, and if the thorns in our sides are too painful, then we will humbly and honestly offer them to Jesus to carry or ask him to remove them. We humbly leave the response to God. We do this from an eternally secure perspective in fellowship with Christ through his death and the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3.12 Not that I have already obtained all this, the full benefits of resurrection. We've got to wait for some of this, although they are secure. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ first took hold of me. I'm going to need some help. Have we got any expert rock climbers in the congregation that know how to put on climbing gear? Has anyone ever done rock climbing? Would anyone be confident? Oh, Richard has. Would anyone be able to slip into a harness just for a few moments? Does anyone fancy trying this on? We've got to get a couple of legs in here. Does anyone want to do it? You don't have to want... Yeah, we've got Kim's coming. That's very brave. Okay. Right, this is quite, this might be quite, can you, someone steady and help. So one foot needs to go in there and one foot in the other side. So, yeah, okay. This is all very legit and all very biblical, so you don't need to worry, folks. So I think the belt needs to go up a little bit. Yeah, that's very brave. I think I'm impressed already. It doesn't have to go all the way up. Okay. So, um, in this passage, just a second, um, we're talking about taking hold of Christ who's already taken hold on us. 
And I think the most important point that I want to make, even before Kim makes any um, reaching out to God, metaphorically speaking, is that there's this line that he's chosen to step into. It's called the grace of God that's completely secure. And I've got a little rope that takes it to the cross. And mine, not very good, but just imagine that it was. And the cross takes us through death to resurrection. And that's something because Kim is attached to, is secure forever. I suppose in the putting on of the harness, we're taking hold of Christ, who's already taken hold of us. Has anyone done it to knockout? Or seen it? It's not on it. Yeah, you've seen it. And they used to have this uh, bungee cord, didn't they? That was always one of the games. I never really understand one of the games, but it involved, often involved getting very, very wet, Kim. <laughs> okay, but, um, but we're, not going to be do- <laughs> we're not going to be doing that today. But I have got a, a little bit of a lead attached here at the back. Uh, <laughs> sorry, no, no, no. Okay. One of the deals when we come to the cross, I'll, I'll try and get you to imagine a second the things that hold us back, the things that chain us, if you like, to this life. And there's plenty of them. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But the gift of grace, and I don't know quite how we unattach you, just imagine it could get a little bit too intimate there if I tried to do that. So we won't be doing that in church. But um, just imagine that this has been cut free. Okay. So that's the deal. We don't drag along the rubbish stuff that kept us in our formal life. Jesus absolutely cuts it free through his death and resurrection. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Very, very brave. (laughs) No water. Look, can you promise me that you'll remember some of that? Because it's quite important about how we do our theology. That God has already taken hold of us. We've got to receive it before we take hold of him. And I'm going to illustrate this further a little bit later. Um, We can learn from our past. This stuff that chains us. But we mustn't be trapped by our past. Some of us can be stuck and even imprisoned by our past. There's no future in being locked in the past. Our prayer is that some of these issues will be dealt with today. I don't know what things hold you back, the things that you feel guilty about. Sometimes we're locked into loss and bereavement. Sometimes it's unforgiveness. For some of us, it might be bitterness, failure, sin. We can know the releasing, grace, life-giving grace of God that sets us free. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be allowing these things to be locked into you. God's power and his word is sufficient to forgive you 
and to restore you. Verse 13 of chapter 3, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I've got a few holiday snaps from last year, if you don't mind. Um, when, I, uh, when I was in work and people used to bring their holiday snaps, or even pictures of their children or grandchildren, everyone used to go, oh. so don't do that at the moment. Okay, they're not boring, okay. Um, but uh, there is um, a particular focus. These are family members, okay. Um, the ones at the top is my daughter-in-law, who leads the way. The one second down is a member of this congregation, and I happen to be married to her, and she's terrified of heights. So just track, is it sort of bluey green top? Okay, you need to follow the bluey green top. For them to get on that, it's called Via Ferrata. Has anyone done that before? And it's a wire that takes you all the way to the summit, but when, when you're clicked in at the start, and someone's following you as well, there is no turning back. There is just one way. And if you can imagine the rope or the wire being that connection with the God who came to earth, who died for us, who was raised again, and it's secure, then that's not a bad image. The other image that's worth noting here, no Christians are called to journey on that path alone. We need each other. There's a lot of encouragement going on there because there was a whole lot of fear of heights to deal with. There's um, Alison striding out on a sort of a sheer rock face, and those things sort of wobble. And at any point, I suppose that she could have fallen off. And it's a little bit like that in life. But with Jesus, although we might fall and get a few grazes on the way, we're not falling too far because she's clipped in. She's taking hold of the God, if you like, that's taking hold of her. Again, just an image of people helping each other. It gets a little bit scary at times. Sometimes we feel as though we're holding on to God by our fingertips. Those of you who feel like that know that God is holding on to you very, very firmly. So we keep going. Almost home. Who are you struggling to the finish line? Who of you are on your hands and knees? Who would love to be striding out to the goal to which Christ Jesus has called you heavenward? Just one more. At the top, maybe a metaphor for heaven. It probably felt a little bit like that to Alison at the time. But I suppose that's when you unclip because you've arrived, you're in God's eternal presence. May we know Christ and the power of his resurrection. God has chosen us 
the calling and the prize is secure. Our goal and destiny is a resurrected state, a relationship with God, not so much a place, but a relationship, being fully alive in God's eternal presence. And just a couple of scriptures to close with, if you're following in Philippians 3, verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining forward uh, to what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is echoed, I think, in Hebrews 12, who, which describes it like this. Therefore, since we ha- are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I was thinking and praying about this sermon in one of my, it was a Bible reflection for the day, someone referred in a footnote to a particular hymn that's, or chorus, ancient chorus that some of you'll know. And I just felt prompted to have a go, and we can sit in a few moments and, and join in when you can. Someone, you, you will know it, and it doesn't really matter whether you like it or not. It's what's, what it's saying is important, and it spoke to me, so I hope it's going to speak to some other people. But it's turn your eyes upon Jesus, the one who holds us on this journey through death into new life, that we might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So it goes a little bit like this. Oh, oh soul, you are weary and troubled. No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. The next verse. Through death into life everlasting. He passed and we follow him there. Or us sin no more has dominion. For more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.